Hey everyone, I'm Mitchell Ray, and you're listening to another episode of the Real Music Nashville podcast. In this episode, I got to sit down with Jim Ivins for one of my very first Zoom podcasts, and I think it went really great. Jim Ivins um, is the vocalist and guitarist for The Ivins, and his brother Jack Ivins plays the drums, Hatton Taylor plays lead guitar, and Reagan Akers plays the bass. Um, I loved this podcast not only because... You know, they're just great musicians and their music is awesome, but I really didn't have to do much. Um, Jim's an amazing speaker and he goes into great detail about the origins of the Ivans and kind of what brought them to Nashville. Uh, You can find them on all social media as the Ivans and their website is theivans.com. We have some good news. Uh, The YouTube channel is going to be active Monday. Uh, The Ivans were kind enough to make a great, unique music video for our podcast, and uh, it's of their latest single, Bloom, that's out now. You can find it on pretty much um, any streaming, iTunes, you you can find it pretty much anywhere. It's a great song, go check it out. Um, I'll post the link for the YouTube channel in the the podcast details, and uh, yeah, definitely check this video out. They were super kind to create this for the podcast and it's just a great piece of content Uh, i'm very grateful that being said i think that does it for this week's updates for the podcast and before we transition into the episode itself i want to uh, promote andrew atkins new album uh, the echoist is out now on all platforms Um, he's a podcast guest whose episode has not come out yet but his album has and i just want to make sure everyone who listens to this, to this show can find it. Um, again, The Echoist, uh, it's really great. He has some really catchy stuff. Uh, yeah, so just look up Andrew Atkins and I'm sure it'll pop up. If you'd like your album or single to be promoted on this show, just contact me at realmusicnashville at gmail.com and we can make that happen. Now let's get into the episode with Jim Ivan and we'll transition with a clip from one of their singles that they released this year called Composure. And don't forget to stick around for the end of the episode where I'll be playing the full version of their latest single, Bloom. Also, we uh, we are recording that live session on Tuesday night. Oh, cool! Yeah. So I'll, uh, I'm gonna get that. I'll edit it and then I'll uh, shoot it over to you by the end of next week. That'd be awesome. What kind of uh, studio setup do you guys have, or do you have access to like someone else's? Yeah, yeah. So we just so uh, you know, we we've got some friends around. Uh, so we're actually recording this session at uh, SAE, the the school that's like right on Music Row, like behind the BMI building. Yeah, I've seen their ads. Yeah, we've. Uh, we did our single certain there. Uh, we become friends with the uh, main engineer there. He used to run the tracking room uh, before that went down. RIP. 
Uh, his name is Matt Lay. He's a great guy. And uh, so we did, we did certain there. And then I've done, uh, I just solo song there. In fact, the week, the week that quarantine happened, it was the last thing that I did. Like, I remember, I, I think we did the song on a Wednesday and the at home mandate happened on like a Saturday or something. Wow. And, uh, so I actually just got the session for that like two days ago because uh, it's just been sitting on a computer in SAE this whole time. And uh, yeah, that's always that's always terrifying. If you've uh, if you've ever recorded anything to have just tracks sitting on. Hopefully it was backed up or something, but just oh, I mean, it was backed up completely. Yeah. But uh, but it was just I, I just I couldn't I couldn't finish it. And well, I've been yeah. I've been doing more music this year, oddly enough, than I have in my entire life. So I was like, well, why don't I finish that song? Like I've been doing everything else at home. Uh, just as we did, we did basic tracks there. And the idea was that I was going to come back and do vocals. But then quarantine happened. And then, you know, obviously they shut down the school and they shut down life. Yeah, they shut down. And uh, so I just didn't do it. And but I've been, you know, I... I did, I've done a bunch of new songs for the Ivans. I recorded a EP for a new project with Brian Craddock from Daughtry. I sang vocals on that. And then I've done songs for everybody else. I've just been doing it in my closet. And it's like, as long as you have a competent mixer, you know, right. it all works out. So I was like, well, damn, I really want to finish this song. So I just got it. So I'm going to finish that up. But, uh, but yeah, we're going to do How can uh, people yeah. access, uh, is any is it any of this stuff out yet? Or like you said, you sang on someone else's track. Yeah. So, um, you know, I've done a couple quarantine covers for other people. Uh, one of those is out. I did, uh, some friends of mine asked me to sing house on fire by rise against. Uh, so I did that. Uh, that's on Instagram. I'll, I'll shoot you a link when we're done here. Yeah. And then I just did days of the week by stone temple pilots for another group of people. That's cool. Uh, that has not come out yet. Um, and then the EP with Brian, uh, it's a new group. We're calling ourselves post-traumatic sons, which we, we've never talked about anywhere before. So oh. that's out of the bag. Uh, so <laughs> well, perfect. we did an EP this spring uh, into the early summer. And then he's just gotten super busy and Daughtry's making a new album. And so uh, that just hasn't gotten finished yet. But uh, but it's it's sitting it's sitting right now and it's really good. Awesome. Uh, and then the Ivans, we put out a song called Composure in July. And then we put out a song called Bloom that's coming out next week, October 30th. So I don't know when this is going to come out, but on October 30th, Bloom will come out. And then we just kind of inadvertently wrote a new album. So we're going to have new singles out every two months for the foreseeable future. You guys just wrote an, uh, a new album? Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, so when you say inadvertently, did COVID have anything to do with that? Yeah, it was, um, so here's what's even funnier. So we worked on a new album for two years uh, because we, uh, our, our buddy, Michael Zuso, who runs Keystone Studios in, uh, in Berry Hill, it's in the Average Joe's building. Yeah. Uh, I met him, I was working at Jack Brown's as a bartender and Zeus was just a regular and we became friends. And then I found out what he did for a living and he became a fan of the band and we were going to make a new album and our studio situation fell through. And then he was like, yeah, I'll do your record. And I was like, Oh, like, okay. And at the, <laughs> at the time he was working sound for Lauren Elena. So he was like, well, you know, I'm, I'm busy a lot, but you know, when I come back, you know, we can just kind of like do sessions, you know, in between, you know, stuff that I already have going on. And, uh, so we did that. And then in the middle of the album, he moved from Lauren Elena to working for Luke Combs. 
Oh, so, wow. uh, I, as you can imagine, his life got a, a little crazier. Yeah, a little busier. So we just kind of slowly made this album for like two years. The week it got mastered, uh, quarantine happened and the music industry shut down for the year. Yeah. So we had a lot of plans for 2020 that were centered around this other album that is just sitting right now. So then I start making my Quarantunes album, which uh, just came out on streaming today, October 23rd. Is this uh, a solo, I, your solo project? Yeah. So um, brief digression. Yeah. We, um, you know, when, when quarantine happened and everyone was locked down, it occurred to me, so I just turned 32, um, but it occurred to me hey, that- Good for you, man. I'm 32 as well. <laughs> all right. We made it. Right. Uh, it occurred to me that since I was a teenager, I have never just had time to just like create. Like, cause you know, I'm, you know, I've, I've always have jobs and, you know, weekends, you know, things oh, are always going on me, and, and, the grand is and I've never, and I never really just have time to just create because there's always, so, it's, it's always, I'm having to create in, uh, you know, uh, what's the way I want to say this, uh, in spite of something else, you know, it's like, I should, so it's like, I have all these other things going on, but I should create something. So I got to do this, but I've never just had the time to just do it. So I told myself at the beginning of lockdown, I was like, okay on the weekends, I'm just going to write and record music all day, Saturday and Sunday, and just see what happens. Yeah. And it started out, I, I had no idea if, if, you know, anything was going to come out, you know, because, you know, just telling myself, be creative, right? You know, which I know is like, every, what everyone in Nashville does, but that's just never how I've done it. Yeah. Uh, I just, I come from a different background than the Nashville, let's all get together and, you know, write a hit song today mentality. I, that's just never been me. Yeah. So I didn't know if I could even just like make myself right. And then in the first day I wrote three songs and they were like really good and they were all different styles. And I was like, Oh, well that was pretty fun. Yeah. Uh, let's see what happens tomorrow. And then the next day it happened again. And so then every weekend I started writing these songs and I was like, am I making a solo album? Like, I don't know. <laughs> and then it occurred to me, you know, we've been fortunate enough to like, get really into like the tribute show circuit these last couple of years. Yeah, I saw that you guys did, I think a Nirvana, um, and yeah. then like a taking back Sunday versus brand new thing. <laughs> so that one never happened. Oh, the, that okay. was supposed to happen like the end of March. And then oh, they, wow. okay. they canceled everything. So yeah, so we have done, so it started off. Um, there were two guys, one, his name is Brandon Bruce and he runs this, uh, company called King thrust entertainment. And uh, we we got on his radar after he, uh, right when uh, Chris Cornell passed away, oh, there was a Chris Cornell tribute show at yeah. the Basement East. And it was amazing. It was like three hours of all these musicians coming together to play Chris Cornell music. And I was like, yeah, sounds what amazing. is this? Like, this is incredible. Yeah. Uh, and so then he did one for Dave Grohl. And then a couple months after that, he did one for Tool. And we got up and played a Tool song, which is just like so not in our like normal wheelhouse at all. But that's what made it so fun. What'd you guys play? Oh God, what was that song? It was Sweat. Yeah, Sweat. Okay. Uh, just because like how did it go? We were. I mean, we were I'm assuming it that? went. All, I said, how did it go? I mean, you said it's not in your wheelhouse. Um, it, right? it went pretty well. I uh, <laughs> the the unfortunately the most memorable thing about it was that. I, uh, I guess I got a little too hyped up and I start kind of like, you know, you know, headbanging, twirling my head a bunch. <laughs> well, then I got the spins. Oh no. 
So I fall over. Not <laughs> once, not twice, three times. So now you just look like sold out basement. East. I keep falling over. Yeah. Now, now you just look like the I drunk somehow guy. in all of this, I managed to not knock anything over. I didn't knock into any of my bandmates and I never dropped a lyric, <laughs> but I looked like a crazy person. Yeah. So everyone thinks I'm like on ecstasy or something and I'm yeah. like, you know, just freaking out. But it, I just got the spins from spinning my head too much. <laughs> and this cat, this was so funny. I, I w- was praying that people would forget about this. And like six months later, I'm at the Cobra. I think we were doing a gig and the bartender was like, did you play in a tool tribute one night? I was like, Oh yeah, yeah, I did. She's like, you're the guy that kept falling over. Like, uh, you were the uh, wasted guy up on stage. Yeah, exactly. I was like, if you could believe it, I really hadn't been drinking that much at all. And you know, no drugs. I just was I'm an idiot. I don't know. And uh, so we were doing, we did a bunch of shows for King Thrust. And then eventually we never did that Take Him Back Sunday one, but for King Thrust, we did a tribute night to Tony Hawk's pro skater soundtrack. Oh, dude. And that was a lot of fun because we did, we did like five songs. We did a simple song by Avail, uh, The Boy Who Destroyed the World by AFI, um, TNT by ACDC, <laughs> Gorilla Radio, Rage Against the Machine. And we might have done another song. I can't remember. I know we did those four. It was four, maybe yeah. five. That, that like one was super fun. fun. And then the, the summer before... We did a warp tour tribute because it was like that was the last summer they were doing the warp tour. Right. So we did that one and we played Miss Murder by AFI, Grand Theft Autumn, Fallout Boy, Ohio is for Lovers, uh by Hawthorne Heights, and the Anthem by Good Charlotte. Very nice. But then on the flip side of that, this guy Tyson Leslie, who is just like the most popular person in Nashville, and he's like the most talented musician I've ever seen. He puts on this show called Rare Hair. And Rare Hair is like a tribute to 80s metal, kind of like in all different shapes and forms. Like sometimes it's like the glammy stuff and sometimes it's thrash. Yeah. And uh, so we've done that a bunch. And then we started our own called Grunge Night, which, you know, you can take a, you can take a wild stab at uh, what that one is. Yeah. So where are you guys doing these shows at? You said uh, who's putting them on? For the most part, all of these are at Basement East. Okay. Uh, so you can imagine how heartbroken I was when, uh, you know, they got hit by the tornado because yeah, yeah. that's pretty much just like our home away from home. So, oh, yeah, but, but I'm sorry, but you asked about Nirvana. That was a King Thrust one. Okay. Uh, so that was Brandon had wanted to do all of Bleach, all of Nevermind and all of In Utero in one night. Oh man, that would be incredible. And so we did, we did Lithium, uh, Poly, which was a, a hybrid of Poly from Nevermind and then the punk version of Poly that's on Incesticide. Okay. And then we did Francis Farmer and uh, Pretty uh, Very Ape from uh, In Utero. Yeah. And then I dressed up like Kurt. And, uh, <laughs> I think I saw some pictures on... I may have seen that on Instagram. Did yeah, you post people, it? people seem to like that. So, you okay. know, I bought these, you know, the big white sunglasses yeah, okay, like we I did. had on the cover of Rolling Stone. I did see that picture, yeah. Yeah, so that was uh, that was pretty fun. But, uh, yeah, so then we started our own called Grunge Night. And uh, that's, we had just done the fourth one uh, right before, right before COVID hit. And uh, that, that, the fourth one was the craziest one because that's when Chris Daughtry performed. Okay. Uh, and that was 
insane yeah. to get him because Brian Craddock and Josh Paul from Daughtry had done the third grunge night. And I think they, and, we, and it was funny, we got them to do it, but like, we didn't want to like ask them like, Hey, you think, you think Chris would want to do this too? Uh, just we're like, no, cause that'll sound like we're using them and, and we're not using them at all. Cause they're great guys and they're amazing musicians. Yeah. Cause we, we didn't want them to think that, uh, you know, we were, just like using them to get to Chris Daughtry because we weren't at all. Like it just, right. ha- just so happened that they were in Daughtry and we were looking for someone to sing a Soundgarden song. And I was like, no one can sing a Soundgarden song, but there's yeah. like three people I know that can do it. And we're like, that would be cool if he would, but like, you know, we didn't push it. So they did the third one. They really liked it. And then when we asked them to do the fourth one, I think both of them individually were like, okay, Chris would really like doing this. And so it became like a, will he, won't he, like a, right up until the last minute. And then he did it. So not only did they performed as Daughtry, which was crazy, and Marty Fredrickson came and played guitar with them. And Marty Fredrickson is this like incredible producer and songwriter. And uh, the the craziest thing I can talk about him is that he's the voice of uh, Stillwater in Almost Famous. Oh, so Jason okay. Lee, Jason Lee's character. So he wrote those songs and yeah. he sings Jason Lee's vocals in Almost Famous. Which Dude, that's I'm like, awesome. That's my favorite movie ever. Yeah. So I'm like holy shit, the Stillwater guy is, is <laughs> playing the show. So they did two songs as Daughtry. And then, so we play, me and my brother, Jack, who's the drummer on the Ivans, we started a Alice in Chains tribute band called Into the Flood. And so every grunge night, we close the night with an hour of Alice in Chains music. Wow. So we're doing Into the Flood. It's the last song of the night, which is Wood, you know, which is where we got the name. And right before the first chorus, this person runs out on stage to grab a microphone and it's Chris Daughtry. Uh-huh. And I'll be honest, I was extremely intoxicated at this point. So yeah. I cannot believe what is happening. I'm just like, Oh shit, it's Chris Daughtry. <laughs> and so there it was. But, uh, but yeah, so tribute shows have become a lot of fun. And uh, I was looking forward to that taking back Sunday, brand new one, but yeah, uh, you know, we'll do it someday. Sorry. That's a, like a 20 minute answer to a very banal question, but no, it, kind of who I am. You're perfect for podcasts then. I mean, just go, dude. Uh, All right. So you said that like the basement is sort of your home or whatever. So yeah, do do you find that a lot? Like bands have, um, I guess, venues that they sort of consider to be like their home base. And then you kind of just get like uh, spread from there. Or, I mean... I know that's the way it is with comedians, like the comedy store out in California. You know, <laughs> no, you're like uh, you're not wrong. You are definitely not wrong. I um here one second. I'm just testing one more thing. Why, why is this not coming through my headphones? Yeah, audio sorry. troubles. Audio troubles. Test one two. Oh wait, nope. I got it. Hold it. Say something. Something. Hey, there we go. All right, cool. Anyway, uh, it's funny you say that. Yes, I do find that. It's funny. I was just talking with someone the other night and they said some band I'd never heard of, but I heard their name and I just go, you know, judging a book by its cover, I'll bet you they play the East Room a lot, don't they? And the guy goes, how did you know that? <laughs> I was like, so what gave it there away? are some bands that just play the East Room. Like yeah. you can just tell it's like those quirky you know, kind of indie or, you know, fuzzy kind of bands, like those kind of like play the East room. Yeah. And uh, there are bands that play the basement or the basement East. There's okay, bands so, that play the five spot. So break it down for me then. If Nashville was a Grand Theft Auto video game map with all the gang God. territories, <laughs> where would you see the different areas of Nashville broken up by genre? 
Oh my God, dude, that is an incredible <laughs> question. I'll be perfectly honest. I have not played Grand Theft Auto since I was 18. Right. Uh, I was well, old, I mean, it's, but, a, but like, it's a general concept. I played concept. it. I loved it. It's but, a general Oh my concept. God, how would this be? <laughs> I would say, I mean, East Nashville is the hipsters. Obviously, um, yeah. Which is funny that I say that because that's where we play more often than not, but that's just so not who we are. I feel yeah. like we fit in more on like the rock block, even though like we never play there. Yeah. Um, but, oh man, that's a great question. If, if, if the other guys in the band were on right now, they could answer that better because they're all <laughs> gamers and I'm not. Yeah. <laughs> well, but, uh, I'm not asking. That's like, an incredible question, by the way. That's, that's very good. <laughs> well, I'm not asking for like to lay it out on the Grand Theft Auto's map, but like, uh, the map. No, I know, I know Nashville, what you meant. You know? I know what you yeah, meant. Yeah. Yeah. Well, anyways. Yeah. I, I just, um, I, ne- I never knew that. Um, so like, I'm a huge fan of comedy. Um, that's all yeah. I listen to during work. Cause I have to have a nine to five. Uh, unfortunately. All. Yeah, I know it's <laughs> terrible. Yeah. So I've always heard about comedians having, um, you know, a home base, uh, sort of venue that they sort of grew up around and came up in and everything. And I just never knew that to be the case with, um, bands and everything too. So it's that's funny you say that though, because well, for two reasons, one, uh, I, I can relate a little bit to what you said because so I used to live in New York and yeah. uh, for a while I was doing stand up on the side. Where are you really? I was uh, one of my one of my oldest friends. He moved to New York to do stand up and do improv. And I was always fascinated by by all of that. that you know, just I've, I've loved stand up my whole life. And so I'd always like every time I go visit him before I moved there, I'd be like, hey, so you're going to like go up somewhere. Right. You know, I want I want to see you do stand up. And he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool, cool. And so finally, like right before I moved to New York, it was the last time I went to visit him. And it was like the reason that kind of like put it over the edge for why I was going to move. I was like, hey, we're, we're going, you're going up somewhere, right? He's like, yeah, yeah, cool. Like, let's go. So we start walking. And I take a phone call and I was like, oh yeah, I'm going to go see Sam do stand up. Yeah, yeah. All right, bye. I hang up the phone. And he goes, you know, you're going up with me tonight, right? It's like, <laughs> what? And uh, so that he just kind of forced me into it. And I did it for like a year when I was living in New York, but it's hard. I mean, it's, it's, it is the hardest art form hard. that exists. Yeah. Bar none. And so uh, I, I knew that like, I didn't suck at it, but like, cause there were several people that just like awful, 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 awful. Yeah. And I was like, okay, I'm not that bad, but like, if I really want to get good at this, I mean, I have to dedicate my life to this and 100%. music is, will always be my number one. Yeah. So like, I can't do that. So I, I stopped doing it. But the, the, the second part of your question, you know, you know, you didn't know that the bands really attach themselves to venues. What's funny is I've always done that since I really? was a teenager coming up in like the punk scene in, in Richmond, Virginia, which is where I'm from. You know, there was a club there called Alley Cats and that became kind of legendary amongst, I mean, like every pop punk, punk rock, like whatever band you've ever heard of, like has played Alley Cats a million times. And okay. uh, so we, I did that. That's just like where I cut my teeth. Yeah. And then when Alley Cats went away, did you uh, have uh, did you have like older musicians there that sort of took you under their wing and showed you the ropes or anything like that? No, <laughs> Not I, at all. Uh, everything I've ever had to do, I've always had to go on my own. Uh, okay. You know, I've, there's always been a handful of people. You know, so I lived in Richmond. You know, came up there, moved to New York, and then moved here. Pretty yeah. much everything we've ever wanted, we've had to get ourselves. Uh, we, and very very little help from anyone so it's it, you know it's it puts a chip on your shoulder but i think it's also it's humbling and it's good for you because you know i think it's easy to get complacent if you have people you know helping you out all the time yeah 
so I think, but, and I think it's also good because it forces you to make the mistakes that everyone's supposed to make. And yeah. I think those are important experiences those to have. Mis- those and mistakes so, are so important. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I wanted to talk a little bit about, um, you sort of just went through like your little origin, a little bit of like an origin story from sure. Virginia to New York, Nashville. Mm-hmm. Um, you were talking about an experience that prompted and put you over the edge that made you want to move to New York. Uh, yes. Kind of, mm-hmm. yeah, talk about that a little bit. Like, what was it about New York that drew you there? I mean, obviously it's, you know, there's many reasons, but go, yeah, go yeah. ahead. You know, it's uh, it's one of these things where, like, it's impossible not to sound like a douche when you say something like this. <laughs> but, like, there is just something about the energy of New York City that is indescribable and that you can really only find out if you live there. Yeah. And uh, I was always in, I've been enamored by New York City my whole life. And I almost went to college there. I chickened out at the last, I chickened out the last minute, you know, stayed in Virginia for a girl who broke up with me Uh, very shortly after I started college as she should have. Uh, And uh, you know, so, so that guy that I was going to visit, we had talked about going to college together. And uh, so, but he went because he wasn't a pussy like me. And uh, also I can talk like that on here, right? Yeah. 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 You're good. Okay. Cool. Cool. Sorry. Just, that's just kind of how I talk. (laughs) Um, So, you know, so I would go visit him every year and every year I was like, why didn't I do this? And at the same time, you know, I was always enamored by, well, one, the original, you know, CBGBs, you know, punk rock, you know, that whole, that whole scene and everything that was always, you know, amazing to me. And I was always fascinated by that. But also the early 2000s, which, you know, the Struts and the Yeah Yeahs and TV on the radio and, you know, all of those bands that, it was just this like incredible artist collective, you know, going on in you know right. the Lower East Side and Brooklyn and everything. And that was always, I always just thought that was so cool, uh, you know, that whole community. And like, I wanted to be a part of it. So finally, when I got to the end of college in Virginia, I was just like, you know, I, I don't have anything keeping me here. And we had been, you know, at that point, you know, I guess I was 23 by the time I was going to move, you know, I'd been playing in the I've been playing, yeah, I've been playing in the scene in Virginia since I was 15 and just had kind of hit every glass ceiling that there was, you know, it just kind of became very apparent that no matter what I did, even though I did everything that you're supposed to do, uh, you know, it's just like, it just was not going to happen for me in Virginia. So I was like, you know what, I'm gonna move to New York and I'm gonna see if I can make this happen. And I, I was there for two years and I left because while I was up there, the band that morphed into the Ivans, uh, we ended up getting a manager. And the funny thing about this manager was that, uh, brief backstory. So my brother and I, our cousin, his name is Bill Leverty and he plays in a band called Firehouse, uh, which if you're familiar with like hair bands, uh, that's a term that everyone in that community hates and I hate too, but it's the easiest way to describe them. Uh, they were like the last really big one before yeah. like Nirvana and Soundgarden and Pearl Jam all just kind of like had the huge changing of the guard. So Firehouse sold 8 million records and they were all over MTV and the radio and they won an American Music Award and everything. And so my, my cousin Bill is kind of why I am who I am. And the guy who signed Firehouse ended up representing us, oh, but it was okay. from a channel that had nothing to do with our cousin. It was just kind of kismet. And uh, so he, we met him towards the end of my time in New York and he was like, all right, 
you got to move back to Virginia because it'll look way more, it'll look way more unique if you guys break out of Virginia, you know, it's not happening here in New York. And he was right. You know, I, I want, I quickly realized upon moving there that that scene that I was so enamored by with the stro- strokes and yeah, yeah, and everything that does not exist anymore. Yeah. Um, so we moved back to Virginia and uh, he was like, you know, you're about to be the biggest band in the world. You're about to get, you know, the, the record deal. You're going to go on tour. Like it's all about, to, it's all about to blow up. It's going to yeah. happen right now. And that did not happen. Uh, long story short, but, uh, but, but, you know, it's a, it was an experience, you know, <laughs> kind of being on the edge of your seat for a couple of years. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, was he just, um, I mean, was he just blowing smoke up your ass? Like what was, I mean, what was the thing that didn't, he seemed to have a grand plan, move back to Virginia, so, have an image. Yeah, you know, he, what was funny about him was that, so he used to be the head of A&R at Sony for like 30 years. Oh, wow. So he signed, you know, a ton of huge bands, but he never managed anybody before. Right. So us and this one other kid from San Francisco were like his like pilot projects. Right. Like, just like, okay, I was on the label side forever because, you know, he, he hadn't been with Sony for a little while at that point. He was like, well, I'd done the label thing forever. Why don't I try managing and see, you know, if I can make that happen. And it's funny to talk about that time because I don't think that he, I don't think he was a bad guy. I don't think he ever like willfully deceived us ever. Uh, I don't think, I genuinely believe that he really thought that we could be the biggest band in the world. Yeah. Uh, And I think that just the way the industry was at the time, I mean, this was like 2014, 2015. Yeah. So at this point, I mean, rock music is like at the lowest of the low points that it had ever been. Because, uh, I mean, cause you got to think right now, you know, Greta Van Fleet is playing arenas. But I mean, like they didn't break until 2018, 2019. And, you know, rock has only kind of started to come back in the last like two or like two years. So at the time, what we were finding was people were just scared shitless to sign a rock band, especially like a baby band, because, yeah. you know, there's no money in the music industry anymore. So like in, back in the day, you know, you could put a gamble on a baby band and you it probably it might just pay off. But now people are like, oh, I don't want to gamble on anything. So even before we met him, while we were in New York, we were actually being rep by Twenty One Pilots lawyer for a time. Yeah, uh, which is this guy who was based out of Mississippi, which is just kind of funny. Uh, and we had a situation where he was shopping us to labels and the first conversation he would have with all of them would always be so positive. It would be like oh my God, like, I love this band. Like, I love these songs. Like, I mean, let's talk again in two weeks. He'd call us, be like, guys, it's all good. We're going to talk in two weeks. Like, get ready. He'd talk to the the label again in two weeks and he'd be like, all right, so we're moving forward on that, right? And they're like, oh, well, there's no way we can actually sign this band. He's like, what are you talking about? You said that you really like the music. And then they'd be like, well, they don't have enough Twitter followers. What the hell am I supposed to do with that? Yeah. And that was kind of our experience from him into our new manager and everything. And then it was all just, it was all just kind of a very uh, harsh wake up call as to like how much the business has changed and how much like good songs are like secondary or like third tier at this point, because now you are a marketer and a branding expert first and second, and then you're in a band third Especially and, if you're doing it on your own, which it seems oh yeah. like the that's the way they want you to do it now is they want you to 
do all of that on your own and then come see them. And you're talking about Twitter followers and all this other stuff. And that's what gave mm-hmm. way to these damn bots that people now like build and sell out. And people just ha- will have like, you know, a hundred thousand followers and then like five likes on a picture. And it's like, wait a second, something doesn't add up here. So that was funny. The, the, the other band that that manager that we had, you know, that was the, like the pilot project, you know, you know, he this this guy had like 130,000 you know followers on Facebook but like but like one I'd never heard of him yeah two it was like you looked at his other social networks and they were like 120th that size and yeah. like and I'd be like I'd be like hey don't, don't you think that this is weird and he's like no 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 it's great and I remember thinking like there are bands that like I know that are like known in like certain circles that like don't have that many likes on Facebook. Like, how is this possible? And it's like, it's all, it's cause it's all fake. I mean, yeah. that's the problem with the problem with the industry now is that it's so like digital numbers driven. Like it's so easy to fake yeah. and it's so easy to like create a narrative that like something is happening when like, it's not like, there's so many artists that, you know, have, you know, Oh, I've got like 50,000, you know, monthly listeners on Spotify and they couldn't fit a living. They couldn't sell out a living room. Exactly. You know, yeah. uh, it's just so, it's just so weird right now. And I'm, it, it, unfortunately to my detriment, I'm a very old soul. And especially having a cousin who made it huge in the old music industry, like I'm kind of like perpetually stuck in that mindset of like, why can't it just be like the old music industry? So you're, so you're, you're perpetually trying to get with a label, get, you know, just that whole path uh, with a major label and everything and, and trying to adjust and, to this new system where basically you have to do everything yourself until mm-hmm. if you even want to join with a label, which, um, I mean, I guess you join for their contacts or if you got big enough to play one of these arenas that they own now with their 360 deals and everything they basically oh, yeah. own you can't play them unless you get with one of the big labels or anything but um and i, I wonder if they're going to start you know coming down to the smaller club level and doing that type of thing too and just sort of box people out because that's sort of the only thing they offer now because everyone's doing everything on their own uh you're oh, talking yeah. about There's having so much be, you can do on your own yeah uh, and i mean dude if you're a marketer right now and you have a halfway decent band you can make a living just touring to a, you know, a, a small hardcore base, especially if you yeah. do it right. And uh, I find that more and more, uh, especially talking to mu- musicians and everything, um, you know, just a small handful that I have so far starting this podcast. It's like um, they're all marketing experts and they're like, hey, man, we can help you out with the, you know, market your podcast, tell you what to do. And, and I'm slowly learning from them. Um, but it, it, it's, I should have gone to school to be a marketer, you know, because I'm becoming one anyways. And I think everyone in Nashville is because everyone in Nashville is a musician. Seems like they're, they are anyways trying to make it. Yeah. It's, 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 it is weird being in a city where everyone is like you. Yeah. Uh, You know, in growing up in Virginia, you know, being a band guy was like, that was your thing. Like, Oh, you're one of those band guys. Like even though Richmond (laughs) has, you know, a nationally renowned, you know, punk and hardcore scene that, you know, that spawned out of the DC scene in the eighties and nineties. So like, that's incredible. You know, it, I, it, I didn't know that. What's that? I said, that's incredible. I didn't know that, that Richmond. Yeah. Virginia you know, uh, there's bands scene. like uh, avail and strike anywhere and municipal waste and Amberetta 
and you know, down to nothing and the hardcore scene and uh i'm sure i'm forgetting several but you know there's a band right. there's a band that i idolized called conditions uh, they kind of broke out in like the mid 2000s in the kind of like you know the warped you know tour scene yeah and uh so it's not inconceivable that you would play music like being in richmond but like you're still like a band guy oh yeah also the other big one was uh gore and lamb of god or the the two huge ones coming out of richmond i can't believe i forgot those yeah but uh but still you're like a band guy, but like in Nashville, it's like, I remember I, I've been in a relationship for several years now, but I remember when I was like single and I could tell that when the people I was going out with found out I was a musician, like that was just like, they're clocking out. I'm like, Oh, <laughs> another one of these guys. Great. Like, uh, you, being know, an act- you know what I mean? Yeah. Like being an actor in LA and yeah, go- it, it exa- <laughs> that's exactly what it's like. And yeah. uh yeah, go to you know, pre-COVID, go to any karaoke bar or night downtown <laughs> on a weekend. You're like, Jesus Christ, how's this guy not, you know, signed or or he probably is. And uh, I I, rem- I remember being met with that realization when I uh when I moved here because I love doing karaoke. <laughs> I'm like pretty good at it. Yeah. Uh yeah, I mean I sing in a band, so like I like to think I'm pretty good at it, but like there were some people where I was just like you know what? I might just like not do anything tonight. Like right. I might just like sit here and drink because uh, I don't want to follow that. Yeah. <laughs> but like, but it's also funny because you could like see that like there are people who like prepared to um, like show up at a karaoke bar. I'm like, oh come on, yeah. man! Like that's not what this is about. Like, but it is for on, them. That's lame. <laughs> but you know, yeah, it is what it is. Um. Oh, yeah, so that's when a you're really sick shirt, by the way. Oh, thanks, dude. Fucking Deadpool and the unicorn. That's, that's yeah. Good. For people listening, uh, yeah, for people listening, I'm wearing a Deadpool short shirt where he's riding a unicorn with two Mac tens. Yeah, it's pretty sweet. Uh, yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> anyways, um, so how did uh, how did New York sort of shape your sound before? I mean, did it change? You said you sort of the mm-hmm. Ivan sort of grew there, and uh, yes, very much yeah. so. Um, so when I moved to New York for the previous, let's see, I moved to New York in 2012 for the previous four years at that point, uh, my brother and I, uh, it's funny for him, but, uh, you know, we were playing in a band called the Jim Ivins band, uh, which was very like acoustic pop rock. It's, you know, very like Goo Goo Dolls, Gin Blossoms, Matt Nathanson, like kind of vibes, uh, with that. And the, the, the precarious position that we found ourselves in in Virginia was that like we were too hard for like the softer bands and we were too soft for the, for the harder bands. So we never really fit in anywhere. So I always thought that that like made us unique, but apparently that just made you like where so nobody knew what to do with you. Um, but so we moved to New York and so we were still doing that. And the guy who started playing guitar for us in New York was actually someone who I knew from back in Richmond, he went to another high school and our bands, you know, back at high school, my high school band and like his high school band, you know, kind of rivals, you know, (laughs) you you could say. Uh, And so he moved to New York and then he had played in another band, which was very like thricey, I would say, Mm. uh, where it was like kind of heavier with a lot of like atmospheric guitars. Yeah. And I always found his playing to be so interesting. This guy's name was Cullen McDonald, uh, the guy who played guitar with us. And I was just was so fascinated by his style. And I always just thought like, well, if I put him like playing these acoustic kind of pop rock songs, I always think that that would that would sound cool. Like that would that would make us sound different and interesting. 
and so then we start playing and then we we had this bass player named James Tan who joined up with us in New York and he was kind of from like a progressive like background and I was like well damn if we like put these guys together like what could we make and so like I was living in the Lower East Side of Manhattan and I was just kind of I had this weird visual in my head and I can't describe it I don't know why it it, it was what it was but I was like I want to make music to soundtrack me walking home drunk at three o'clock in the morning in the Lower East Side while wearing sunglasses. What does that <laughs> sound like? And I thought about Cullen and James's playing. And so I just thought like, I just want to write songs that I want to hear these guys play. And so I, you know, there's a band called the Stereophonics uh, out, of, out of Wales. And yeah. they're like my, one of my biggest influences. They're, I mean, they're, they're one of these bands that are like massive in like every other country, but never broke America. Yeah. Like they play stadiums in Europe, but like they could maybe play like a thousand cap club in America. And so they have this album called Language Violent Sex Other. And then Arctic Monkeys had just put out AM and 30 Seconds to Mars a couple of years back had put out This Is War. And so I kind of took all of these records and I was like, I want to make music that sounds like that because I thought, you know, I just thought that sounded way more interesting than uh, the music that we were making, which I thought was really good, but I was still just thought like, nah, I want to, I want to plug in and just crank up the volume and just like make cool, just like swaggery rock music, like, yeah. with, you know, huge, huge hooks and with all this atmosphere. And, and like, that's what, that's um, what I want to do. That really comes through on y'all's uh, recordings. And I really want to see you. you guys live because um, uh, whoever is, uh, producing or mastering y'all's tracks and everything, they're so fucking full. Like they sound mm. like a kick in the chest, you know, they're like, um, thank you. Um, and so, yeah, that's exactly what we wanted. So yeah. I'm glad that you feel that way. So thank you and very so, much. Uh, yeah. They're, they, the tracks sound amazing. Not only are the songs obviously good, you know, but the tracks are just, they sound fucking great. So I really want to see you live to see, uh, I mean, I'm sure that's the way you guys sound live as well, but, um, what you're describing is exactly, what you became um thank you very much yeah no that's uh i i really want you to see us live too you know i think you know billy corgan smashing pumpkins you know it's one of my <laughs> idols and yeah. you know he always talks about that the thing that set the pumpkins aside was that they played with power and like that's always what i want us to be you know it's like yeah there are bands that you know will play you know, heavier than us or, you know, play faster or like whatever. But I'm like, we play with more power than anybody around. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I think. You know, we don't play to clicks. We don't play to tracks. Uh, it's weird that I have to say that that makes us different. I think that's very <laughs> sad, but uh, you know, we're just four guys who crank it up and, you know, we kick your head in every time. Yeah. And, uh, but you know, the melody is so important too. It's, it's finding the balance between, those two aesthetics of wanting to play with power, but also play with melody and make music that people remember and want to sing while also, you know, getting that kick in the chest that you were talking about. Yeah. And uh, that's really, that's really all that we strive to do. Well, I think you're, uh, I always strive for halfway decent. I think you guys have uh, at least managed <laughs> that. Um, all right, so tell Halfway me. Decent would be nice. But, you know. <laughs> right, that's what I always go for. Tell me about um, having your brother in your band. I mean, I've always wanted. So, I've always wished that my brother would get into music. He briefly picked up the drums, and now they're sitting behind me. I took them because oh, they, were really? just, they were gathering dust. Um, I've always wanted uh, a sibling, 
But I can imagine you guys only, I can only imagine the fights that you guys must get in. Oh, dude, <laughs> you have no idea. So my brother and I are, I always say that we're like, we're so close that we're like too close. Yeah. Um, you know, having Bill be our cousin and then our dad has been playing music in bands and he's a worship leader. So he's been playing music since he was in high school. So having Bill and having our dad, music was just always a thing in our house. Uh, my mom used to say that she, uh, you know, we play music and she plays the radio. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, you know, music was just always a thing in our house. And so we had this garage in the house we grew up in that, you know, eventually, you know, when Jack decided he wanted to play drums and I always, since I was a kid, you know, seeing Bill play guitar, you know, and my dad play guitar, I was like, I want to play guitar. Yeah. So we just turned our garage into, you know, the rock out space and to the, you know of course having the classic stories of all the neighbors call calling us and calling <laughs> the cops and you know like noise complaints and you know we did all all of those things and you know jack had a band when he was in middle school and you know i really wanted to like be in his band he's like no jim you can't be in my <laughs> band and so then i would start my band then i had a band and then you know jack's thing didn't last but mine you know i i had a band you know all throughout high school and into college and jack and i never played music together until I was in college and he was already two years into college, which, you know, people always think is weird. And, and looking back, I'm like, yeah, I guess it is kind of weird that we never really did. But Jack just like, he became this, this virtuoso drummer. I mean, he was, he was that classic story of the kid who would just lock himself in a room for like six hours and yeah. just like learn incredible shit. I mean, Jack, he would, uh, are you familiar with dream theater? Oh Yeah. Definitely. Okay, so Mike Portnoy, the drummer of Dream Theater, you know, he had a side project called the Liquid Tension Experiment. Okay, I'm not familiar uh, with that. But. It's just like a super, super progressive, uh, like instrumental, all instrumental, like version of Dream Theater. Because okay. uh, John Petrucci was also in it. And uh, so Jack would just like lock himself in the garage at like age 14 and learn Liquid Tension and Dream Theater drums like perfectly. Yeah. And so it was just like That's insane. Incredible. So I always knew that Jack was this like incredible drummer. And so when my high school band was, you know, we got to college and we we're like, all right, you know, we're not, probably not going to keep doing this. And so I started writing these acoustic songs and I w wanted to put a band together. And I was like, well, why don't I just have Jack play drums? Like I, then I don't have to like ask anybody and Jack and I've never played music together. Yeah. And so naturally what happens with Jack and I is that, I feel like it's almost like ingrained in his DNA that whatever I say, he has to want the exact opposite. Well, yeah, your uh, brothers, obviously. So it's just a lot of this. But in doing so, as the Ivans have written more and more and we've gotten more and more down that rabbit hole, I have found that the push and pull that Jack and I bring to the writing process and this and now now that Reagan and Hatton are our, our bass player, our lead guitar player here in Nashville. And now that they are right as well, now the pushing and pulling goes in four directions. Mm. But when we were making the Code Duello, our first album, you know, it was just Jack and I writing it. And I found that like the pushing and pulling that Jack and I had, what where we would end up meeting in the middle was always the best. So even though he he makes me so angry, so like, and he because he's my older brother, he's the only person who can make me go zero to sixty in like one second and make me just so mad. But like he'll make me so mad all these times. But then like I'll realize sometimes I'm like, 
shit, he's right. <laughs> oh, I hate that. Uh, and so, because again, you know, I'll be like, no, I want us to go, you know, this way. And he's like, no, 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 we have to go the opposite way. And I'm yeah. like, but that's stupid. And then, you know, we do this tug of war thing where eventually then we get into this ground where like, oh, like if we do like a little of this and a little of this, like that's really cool. So would you say that he, um, would you say that he always pushed for like more technical since uh, you're saying he would lock himself and learn dream theater type, uh, uh, you know, progressive type music? Would Is he always leaning towards more technical music uh Here's the thing about my brother. He is a swath of contradictions okay. uh, because what you just said is true. Like yeah. he did come up learning really technical stuff. Now yeah. Jack is Mr. It has to be the simplest thing ever. And okay. why don't we just do a classic four on the floor beat right yeah. here? And I'm like, who are you, man? <laughs> like, and well, he's not know, wrong. We doing, I mean, we were doing Jim Ivan's band. You know, he would always complain that our songs were too soft. So then I start writing more rock songs. And then after a couple of years of that, he's like, Dude, where are the pop songs? Like we got like we got we need people to like sing along. We where are the pop songs? I'm like, are you kidding me? I was writing pop songs for like seven years and you never liked any of them. He's yeah. like, yeah, but that was before. Like now, <laughs> that's old stuff. Like now I want now I want poppy stuff. Right. Uh, so it's uh, again. So even with you know where he thinks our sound should go, it's just this constant pushing and pulling. Because now I'm like. Well, I just want to kick everybody's head in. Like, yeah. I just want to rock. And he's like, no, no, no. We got to keep that pop going. So a little and, bit of uh, Yeah, so it's just, uh, but I think that's what makes a, a really good band really good. Is Absolutely. when Is when you have all these different ideas. Because, I mean, you can't force chemistry. Yeah. Uh, that's one thing that you find from playing with bands and playing with as many people as we have. Like, you cannot force chemistry. And when you have it, uh, and you and you let it run its course. I think that's where greatness lies. Absolutely, and being able to communicate like that without um, anyone getting actually pissed off. Well, I don't know. Maybe you and your uh, no, th- th- people get pissed <laughs> off for sure. That's that's just a p- part of life. But I think the thing that makes Jack and I work really well together is that. So you know, Jack learned drums and I learned guitar. Yeah. So then over the years, we ended up switching in terms of like what we wanted to spend our time doing. So Jack decided he wanted to learn how to play guitar and I decided that I wanted to learn how to play drums. Yeah. So in doing so, like, I mean, after a while, like tuning my own horn, I actually got like really good at drums and Jack got to be like a pretty decent guitar player. Like he's got to be like really good. And uh, so we know how to speak to each other. So there's no, there's no way to offend the other person because, you know, sometimes someone can like, say something bad about an idea it's like what the fuck do you know like you don't even play this instrument like yeah that's kind of like how i feel when people critique my vocals i'm Uh just like you guys don't even sing like get (laughs) out of here like you don't know what you're talking about yeah but like with jack and i with with at least the guitar and the drum stuff you know we know where the other person is coming from so it makes it a lot easier to communicate ideas that way especially when (laughs) Trying to communicate drum ideas is just a collection of like, or so you go like, and then you go, like, you know, you make all these ridiculous noises yeah, and like hand movements. And most people are like, are you having a stroke? Like, you know, what's happening? Whereas like with us, I can be like, okay, I'm pretty sure I know what you're saying because I can think that way too. Yeah. And uh, that's, that's proven really fruitful in our writing relationship. Interesting. Interesting. But given that Oasis is my favorite band of all time, uh, I do sometimes see the parallels between us and the Gallagher's. Right. 
I don't know if a transformer just exploded outside my house, but there's a giant boom, and I'm just going to ignore it and hope that doesn't go. What part town are you in? Uh, Hendersonville. So, like, uh, okay, right yeah, on. Yeah. 15 I'm minutes outside. Exact opposite direction. I'm in Antioch. Okay. Got you. Yeah. Um, all right. So, once you guys sort of formed, you kind of knew like where you wanted to go with your sound and everything. Yes. Then you make the big jump to Nashville. Um, why? Like, uh, I know to the outside world, Nashville looks like country town. And you get here, (laughs) you get here, you find out it's not quite that. I mean, if you stay on broad, yeah, you can live your whole life and never know, but uh, it's not that. And uh, so uh, what, uh, did you just play a show here and find that out or? Nope. Uh, It was, it was even more innocuous than that. Uh, So, you know, we, we lived in New York for a couple of years or I did. And Jack just kept, Jack lived in DC at the time. So he, you know, I, I was just going to like get another drummer, you know, while I was living in New York and Jack was like, no, absolutely not. And so he would take the bus from DC where he was living up to wow. New York to play shows. But so, uh, so, you know, we, I left New York and we went back, we went back home to Richmond for two years and, you know, we're kind of, we were kind of in a holding pattern at that point. We we're just kind of waiting to see what happened. Cause we also had another manager come in to like co-manage the band and uh that was another just kind of funny thing this guy used to manage kiss uh and he managed lamb of god uh and he managed conditions who are two richmond bands so like we so he like I, we thought that like you know like he gets us you know because we're a richmond band and he manages lamb of, he used to manage lamb of god and conditions and he used to manage newfound glory and breaking benjamin and so he came in and you know, were kind of waiting to see what was going to happen with him we're waiting to see what's happening with the first guy and then after two years it's just everything fell apart and we were like okay we could either just stop playing music entirely or we just need a reset and I, I wasn't sure what that was going to be jack had talked about nashville kind of abstractly in the past but i was i was like what you said i was like nashville like that's country music and christian music town like what the right. hell are we gonna do there so i just i would swat down those ideas you know Jack never even like made any serious, you know, moves towards that. He would just talk about it from time to time. Well, then our guitar player now Hatton, uh, he also grew up with us in Richmond. We, we were we went to a K through twelve school, and Hatton was in Jack's grade. Wow! And so Hatton was this incredible guitar player. He kind of like Jack. Hatton was the kid who in sixth grade locked himself in his bedroom and didn't come out until he could play "Sweet Child of Mine," note perfect. Yeah. And uh, yeah, he was that guy around school and. When I, when I was living in New York, we came home to play a show one time and our guitar player couldn't play. So we just called Hatton out of the blue because every now and then Hatton would kind of, our paths would cross, you know, over the years. And he played the show with us and it was like, it went really well. And every now and then he'd check in and be like, dude, that was like the most fun show I've ever played. Like, if you guys ever need me to do anything for you again, I will. And as you were being told and, you know, over here, you know, you guys are about to be the biggest band in the world. You're about to go on all these tours. Like, it's gonna be crazy. We would tell Hatton like, hey, apparently we're about to like blow up um <laughs> if that happens do you want to go on the road with us and he'd always be like yeah, yeah, yeah just let me know and then none of that ever happened and then and then in summer of 2016 hatton called jack like out of the blue and was like hey uh i just got out of grad school uh i think i'm just gonna like pack up my life and move to nashville just like on a whim like do you want to come move with me and Jack had some stuff he had to finish up in DC and, you know, he was in a relationship and, you know, he had this other band in DC. So he was like, okay, he was like, you know, I think that's a great idea. I can't do it right this second, but I really want to do it. You should call Jim. So Hatton called me out of the blue. I had not spoken with him in probably two years at that point. 
uh, maybe a little less, but it had been a long time. And we talked on the phone for like an hour. I actually had just gotten a job offer to move back to New York uh, and where it was kind of like, I was kind of giving up at that point. Yeah. Uh, but something about it just started not to feel right. And then Hatton calls me and is like, hey, you know, let's move to Nashville. Like, screw it. Like, let's just drop everything and do it. And, and for whatever reason, I was like, yeah, that sounds like a great idea. <laughs> Even though I had, I had only been, I'd been in Nashville for a wedding two years prior to that for 36 hours. So like, I couldn't even really tell you anything about it. Uh, I knew nothing about it. I did not know that it was becoming one of the fastest growing cities in America. I didn't know that there was more to it than country music. Yeah. Like I knew zero. I didn't have a job. I'd never lived with Hatton before. I, frankly, I barely knew him. Yeah. Uh, we took an apartment site unseen. Uh, I mean, I knew two people that lived here when we moved here. So like it was completely flying blind and uh, we were just under the mindset that like, we're just going to go and figure it out, uh, see if there's anything there for us. And as we found out specifically from doing those tribute shows, we were like, oh my God, there's like a big rock scene here. Yeah. Like, where did that come from? So how long and, have uh, you guys been in Nashville then? Four years. Okay. Well, that's a good, good so, amount of time. The first year, I kind of like don't even count uh, for us just because we were just kind of seeing what Nashville had to offer at that point. Like we met Reagan, who's our bass player. We met him. Like, so I moved in, Hatton and I moved here in August of 16. Jack moved here in January of 17. We met Reagan in February of 17. And then we were kind of playing around a bit throughout 2017. Like kind of like, I, admittedly I kind of came in a little cocky a little green thinking like oh yeah we'll like because I didn't know that like there was a big rock scene I was like oh we're gonna be this rock band and like everyone will you know dig us because we're so different and like right. we're just gonna like get people to love us like right away and that did not happen at all <laughs> uh and I was like oh we have to work just as hard in fact harder than we have in all the other cities because everybody in Nashville is trying to do what we are doing exactly uh, and so 2018 was when things kind of started. We started to meet more people and we started to play more and we started to network more and we started to do more of these tribute shows and people started to know who we were. And that's, and so 2020 was looking like it was going to be a great year because like 2019 was a killer year. Yeah. And, uh, and yeah, but you know, you know, uh, once things open back up, you know, I can't wait to, to get after it again. Cause it, it really, the music community in Nashville is like nothing I've ever seen in all the cities I've been in, you know, just the, everyone just being so down to just play all the time and write and everyone's so nice. I mean, like, you know, having, having lived in New York, I mean, I moved here kind of New York shield up, you know, very guarded, you know, don't let the big city get you down. And, you know, you know, cause everyone's a dick up there. And then I move here and everyone's like, hi, like, how are you? Yeah, I'm like, yeah. what do you mean? How am I like, you know, you're very, like, what do you mean you're just that nice? Like, yeah. And that's just like what everybody is like here. And it's like, it just totally threw me off that everyone is so nice. So at first, uh, at first, when uh, dealing with artists here in Nashville and uh, you, you encounter people being nice and open like that, um, did you think they wanted something from you? Were you just super suspicious? I don't even know what it was. It was just like, how are you this nice? I was yeah. like, everyone's mean. Like, how are you? How are, how is everyone here just genuinely nice all the time like and the other thing that was really attractive was that there is no like hollywood mentality here like 
people who are objectively famous are just, they're just here. Yeah. They just live their lives and people don't bother them really. Or I should say, don't bother them as much well, that's as the, you know, maybe they, they would in, you know, LA or New York. Or that's the like etiquette. That. I don't know if you know this, but all Nashvilleians are taught that's the etiquette. You see someone famous, you leave them the fuck alone. Yeah, or, and I'm like, what a concept. <laughs> like, <laughs> just leave them alone. Yeah. Like, you know, it, like, you don't see paparazzi here. You know, you don't see a lot of, I mean, yeah, it's just, it's, it's just really, really nice. I mean, I worked at Jack Brown's in Germantown for several years and there were, it was funny to me, I'll, I'll tell you brief aside. So moving to Nashville, you know, country music capital, I know this much about country music. Yeah. Uh, I don't know who anybody is. I don't particularly care for country music, um, but people would come into the bar all the time and someone would run up to me afterwards and be like, Jim, 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 did you see those you know, Chase Rice or, you know, <laughs> Jason Aldean or whatever? Right. And I'd be like, who is that? Yeah. Like, what? Like, what are you talking about? <laughs> and then uh, a couple months after I moved here, uh, a mutual friend uh, of someone that I knew who I just met, uh, she came to the bar one day and was like, hey, um, so I'm shooting this video, you know, Universal's just having me put together this video for Billy Currington, like really quickly. I need a couple. Do you want to star in this Billy Currington music video? And I was like, great. Who the hell is Billy Currington? Yeah. He's like, what? Like, what do you mean? Who is Billy Currington? I'm like, yeah, is he like, is he a big deal or something? <laughs> yes. <laughs> so I star in a Billy Currington music video. You can see it online. It's Do I Make You Wanna is the song. It has like 20 million views. Yeah, send me uh, the link to that. And it, the video is literally me sitting on a couch looking at Polaroids of me and this girl that this other girl met. We went out on this day and did this like Polaroid photo shoot where we all just like, you know, took selfies of each other with a Polaroid camera. Right. And, you know, took and in certain situations that like matched up with the lyrics of the song. And everyone was just like, holy shit, like Jim's in this Billy Currington video. And I'm just like, I don't know who that is. Like, I couldn't tell you a single other one of his songs. It's amazing uh, the type of things you uh, just randomly find yourself mixed up in in life. You know, things that just yeah. uh, fall in your lap. And you're just like, uh, who the fuck is this guy? Okay, I'll be in the video. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I, I, I thought that was like such a Nashville thing. And also yeah, that was like sure. such an introduction to Nashville. Because I'd only been here like two maybe three months at that point oh wow so that was also just like kind of a trip for me i'm like man i've only been here three months and i'm starring <laughs> in, a, in a major country star's music video I'm like oh this is how it's supposed to go huh. yeah right doesn't everybody <laughs> do this yeah that's pretty awesome but what was funny about you know the bar thing was you know everyone would like freak out when these country stars would come in now, of course they, you know they wouldn't bother them of course but you know everyone would freak out to, you know internally you know people working but then I would see like a rock guy come in and I'd like turn into a schoolgirl and yeah. everyone else is like, who, who are you talking? Who is this? Like, yeah. who are you looking at? I'm like, that's, that's Danny from Alice, asking Alexandria. That's Matt from Reliant K. Like, what are you talking about? Yeah. Like, who, who are those people? It's like, what city am I in? Like, how did I get here? <laughs> like, man. Okay, well, uh, I mean, I think that's going to wrap it up for us, man. You've pretty much given us your whole or origin story, <laughs> and uh, it's been this has been one of the easiest podcasts I've ever had to do. I could just sit here and oh, say, "Yep," over dude, and over again. I can, and just I can let go, you go for longer if you want to. I mean, as you can tell from me, uh, I can I know how to run my mouth. So, yeah, uh, I'm, no, I'm it's, happy to talk to you as long as you want. It's absolutely perfect. No, we're trying to uh, uh, catch a show here in a minute, but um, right on. Um, yeah. Uh, 
go ahead and plug anything you want. Uh, I know you got your new al- uh, new singles mm-hmm. coming out. You've got an album. Um, yes. Yeah, plug everything, man. Anything you've been doing in quarantine with the band, um, yes. I want to know about it. Okay, so again, so my name is Jim Ivins. That's I-V-I-N-S, and I play and sing lead vocals in The Ivins, and we are what I call a loud alternative band from Nashville, and we have a single called Bloom coming out on October 30th, or by the time you're hearing this, maybe it's already out. Uh, We had a single called Composure that came out in the summer uh, that actually got used by several Red Bull athletes on their Instagram account, so that was pretty cool. Um, we put out a cover of Graveyard by Halsey earlier this year that I thought was pretty unique. Uh, that's something to check out on streaming and on YouTube. Um, and for me personally, I just put out a album called Quarantunes today on October 23rd. And it includes members of Florida Georgia Line and Three Doors Down and Daughtry and Reliant K and Tonic and CKY and Uh, all these incredible bands and all these artists that are just amazing people who just wanted to jam and play my songs, which was just so cool. And uh, that's everywhere uh, that you can find streaming. And uh, for us, the Ivans, follow us, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, everything is just the Ivans, I-V-I-N-S. And we're going to have new music. Uh, We're going to have a new song every two months and a new video every two months. So staggered one month from each other uh, for the foreseeable future. So uh, you're going to get real tired of seeing us uh, after a while because we're going to flood the stream. So everyone come along for the ride with us. And thank you so much, man, for having me on this podcast. This was so fun. And yeah. uh, we need people like you. So oh, thanks, uh, it really means a lot when uh, when someone like you uh, reaches out to to have a, a band like us on a podcast. So Mitchell, thank you so much for, uh, for doing that. Well, I appreciate you saying that, dude. And uh, it's been absolutely awesome just uh, hearing your about the Ivans straight from you and uh, the way you put it and everything is uh, a very eloquent speaker. There's no problem there. And, uh, I'm a public relations man. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it worked out for me. Um, That's the episode with Jim Ivan from the Ivans. I hope you guys enjoyed it as much as I enjoyed talking to Jim. He's super easy dude to talk to and just uh, seems like a genuinely good person. Now, as I mentioned in the last podcast, I'm not entirely certain how to end these episodes, but in the interest of creating a network where the artists can promote each other and raise each other up, what I've been doing is asking each guest to uh, pick a local Nashville artist of their choice and recommend them to the listener. Um, Jim picked um, the Pretty Ravens, and uh, yeah, so check them out. I haven't done it myself, but if Jim's recommending them, they have to be good. So check them out. I'm sure you can find them on any social media or streaming platforms of your choice. And while you're checking them out, I'll play for you the Ivan's brand new single, Bloom. Focus until you found me. Meaning.
Hallucinations, just fascinations with our. 